0: Hi everyone and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History. I'm Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi everybody. Paul's a proper historian all the way from
1: Oxford. Thanks Mikey. Okay folks, so here's the show... It's about the unsung heroes, yeah. the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have so
0: changed the course of mankind. Yeah, actually made it it's also about the cock-ups. <laughs> yeah, those howlers, the moments of madness that are sometimes tragic, sometimes comical that have made the world what it is today. Okay, folks, today's
1: episode. um, Now, of course, we've concentrated on quite a few heroes and howlers already this season, but I'm glad to say we're going back to a good old fashioned cock up, a 12th century maritime disaster, a disaster that changed the course of history, a sinking equal to the Titanic and a name, the White Ship, that we think should be up there with the Mayflower and the Endeavour. (laughs) <laughs> but Mikey, like almost every other uh, English Channel ferry crossing
0: before or since, this incident also involved more than its fair share of alcohol. Paulie, we're talking about the booze cruise that plunged England and Northern Europe literally into anarchy.
1: That's right. We're talking about the Normans, of course, You know William the Conqueror. But we're also talking about his three sons and his grandson, William Aethling, or Edlin, depending on
0: how you pronounce it. See, one of the things we tend to forget is that when William conquers England in 1066, it's not all smooth sailing. There were a lot of rebellions.
1: That's right, Mike. It's called conquest, the Norman conquest, for a reason. And those rebellions, you know, peaking in 1069, of course, with you know, the harrying of the north. So, yeah, that's why the Normans had to build all those castles, isn't it?
0: Yeah, in, in fact, which is very expensive. And of course, the most famous one is, you know, the White Tower, which we now know as the Tower of London. That's right, but I think
1: I've read somewhere crazy there's something like 500 castles they built in those first 20, 30
0: years. Much to the chagrin of the local populace.
1: That's right, Mikey, because we've got to remember, you know, these Normans, they're originally, you know, Vikings, uh, coming out with uh, Rollo, who is the first count um, of Normandy with his capital in Rouen, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, but the thing is, once they've got onto the continent Continent. they've seen their rivals people like the, the counts of Anjou they've seen their castles and they've swapped the old viking longships for these new formidable fortresses with their keeps you know they've swapped their battle axes for the
0: armored horses you have to remember the, the old viking way of using horses was to ride the horse to the battle and then get off and fight on foot in fact that whole difference is one of the major factors of of the battle of hastings
1: That's right, Maggie. The the horses now really have become a a war machine, haven't they? Um, But that doesn't, as you said, that doesn't really stop the troubles for the Normans, because although their horses are superior,
0: they've still got a lot of enemies. They've got trouble in Scotland, they've got trouble in Wales, and they've got trouble back in Normandy. I mean, You have to remember that William spends the vast majority of his time back in Normandy, only heading back to England in crises, crises like the 1075 Rebellion by Roger, the Earl of Hereford, and Ralph, the Earl of Norfolk. I I just love the idea of the Roger and Ralph Rebellion, mate. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's right, and of course, you've also you've got the Danes as well. Yeah, they're still the original Vikings, they're still coming in um, from the north. And if
0: William doesn't have enough troubles externally, he's also got family problems. His boys are always at each other's throats. You've got Robert versus William, Rufus versus Henry.
1: And also, of course, they've been promised this split inheritance, haven't they, which is always going to spell trouble.
0: My favourite incident occurs in 1077. Rufus and Henry dump a chamber pot onto the head of their brother Robert. Now, Robert, by this stage, is in his mid-twenties, and he gets so angry, he besieges Rouen. I mean, that fails, and he has to flee to Flanders to seek refuge with his uncle, the Count.
1: Which all means that when William the Conqueror dies in 1087, that split inheritance kicks in, Robert as the eldest gets Normandy because of course you've got to remember that's the first prize in these days is actually more important than England and it's William Rufus who becomes William the second of England Henry of course being the third son at this stage gets little more than a pat on the back which only adds to the
0: rivalry particularly with William William Rufus is a very interesting character very brave very chivalrous knight in fact a, a very good general on the battlefield But a very flamboyant man, there were hints about his sexuality, but also to what really ticked off a lot of the court, and particularly the clergy, was his appearance. I've got this quote from an unnamed clerk who wrote, Then there was the flowing hair and extravagant dress and was invented, the fashion of shoes with curved points. Then the model for young men to rival women in the delicacy of person, to mind their gait, to walk with loose gesture and half-naked, envenerated and effeminate. They, unwilling, remained what nature had made them, as sailors of others' chastity, prodigal of their own, troops of pathetics and droves of whores
1: followed in court. (laughs) So it's probably no surprise that his rain was so short.
0: That's quite right, Paulie. In fact, William not only dies shortly after, but he does so in what can only be described as suspicious circumstances. Go on. Well, the story goes he's accidentally shot with a bow and arrow while out hunting in the New Forest, the exact same forest where another brother, Richard, had also died in a supposed hunting accident 30 years before. A remarkable coincidence. Look, no one could prove anything against Henry, but if I told you the Baron who accidentally fired the fatal arrow was Walter Turrell... One of the finest archers at court and that straight after the event this champion marksman skips england never to return
1: Uh, okay i get the picture so henry the first he comes to the throne so what we're talking now we're talking 1100
0: exactly mate august the 5th 1100 and here's the thing people had written henry off as a bit of a dullard but he turns out to be a pretty effective ruler he rolls back on the bizarre charter laws, he actually decreases taxes, he, he, he creates a peace treaty with the Scots, alliances with the Anglo-Saxon lords, and I'll say too, mate, he was pretty effective in the bedroom. He had 20 recognised children, of which the legitimate offspring were William Aithling and Matilda. Right,
1: and at the same time, you've got over in Normandy, um, Robert
0: is, I suppose, his rival, isn't he? But he, he goes off on crusade. Yes, mate, and to pay for the crusade, he actually mortgages the Duchy of Normandy. As you can imagine, this ends up in complete turmoil. In fact, when he gets back from crusades in 1106, Henry captures Robert and holds him prisoner un- until Robert dies. But look, by this stage, Henry's got bigger fish to fry. So by 1120, he's defeated Louis the Sixth of France. He's reunited Normandy and England. He's about to sail back to London in triumph. And that's when things go pear-shaped.
1: All right, folks, so we're in the 12th century. It's 1120. Henry I is now the king of England. He's also united Normandy
0: under his realm. He's sailing back in high spirits with his son, William. Yes, mate, when you say high spirits, by the time they get to the French port of Barfleur, William and his entourage are completely smashed. They are blind drunk. And this is where that famous vessel, the White Ship, enters Yes, mate, it was not part of the original plan to actually sail on the White Ship. I mean, yeah, Henry had his own ships. But then this bloke comes up, Captain Thomas Fitzstephen. Now, he says to Henry, sail with me. My ship is new and much quicker. And then he also goes, my father knew your father. Because apparently his father had been captain on the Mora, which was William the Conqueror's flagship in 1066. Right, but Henry says no thanks. Yes, he does. But William and his drunken buffets take a look at the brand new ship and go, "Oh, we'd like a ride on that!" And mate, it was a brand new clinker-built ship. The Ferrari of its time. Now, we know what happens next because there is an eyewitness account from the English warrior Burrold the Butcher. Now, I should point out, too, that he gets his nickname not from his achievements on the battlefield, but actually his day job is just being a butcher.
1: <laughs> all right, OK. So that so William and, and the Junkards, they're all getting
0: on the white ship, but there's, there's quite a few of the important people
1: on there with him. Oh, I mate, mean, right? he's got his half-brother,
0: Richard. He's got his half-sister, Margaret Perche. There are knights, countesses, and princesses in fact it's about three hundred people in total getting on the white ship, and these three hundred are the creme de la creme of the English court. And mate, they keep partying once they're on board. In fact, a bunch of monks offer to bless the ship. Now this is a this is a Norman tradition. Now you know the Normans, you know, they're seafaring stock. But they're very superstitious and also too, they can't swim. I mean what's it you once told me about Vikings and swimming? That's
1: right, yeah, yeah. Vikings deliberately didn't learn to swim, did they? Because they thought that if they did ever go overboard, they wanted to drown quickly rather than, you know, float around (laughs) in the icy North Sea
0: um, and suffer that way. So the monks turn up to bless the ship. Well, William and his drunken mates, they're partying hard. They chase the monks off. Now, this is not a good omen. By this stage, they've got the crew involved. Everyone's drunk. In fact, the helmsman slips off the ship. So by the time they finally shove off, it's midnight. And of course, the idea is from William, they want to catch up with his father's boat. So he's shouting at them, row harder, row harder, go faster. Because of course, yeah, they've got to row out of the port before they can set sail. Except, Paulie, just outside the harbour, there's this dirty big rock called the Keel Berth. Ah
1: yes, the famous keel berth, isn't it? Yeah, because you got to remember, Mikey. Yeah, we 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 always think of the Norman coast, you know, because of the Norman landings on the beaches in World War Two. We all think it's flat and sandy, but if you just go around a bit further um, to where we are in Barfleur, it's actually very very rocky. And that keel berth,
0: it really does stick out of the water, and it's a serious sized bit of stone. Which would normally make it easy to avoid, but mate, it's the middle of night and everyone's drunk. So the white ship slams into it. There's a blood-curdling scream. In fact, the scream is so loud it's heard back on land. But the people back on land don't think, oh, we better get a rescue party together. They just think it's more drunken hijinks. So William thinks, okay, every man for himself. He jumps in the one small lifeboat and starts to speed away. Now his half-sister Margaret starts screaming at him, calling him a coward, even questioning his manhood. so he turns around to go pick her up. At that point, when he gets near the white ship, everyone scrambles, tries to jump into the lifeboat, it overturns, and they all sink slowly to a watery grave. Which means, of
1: course, now not only has Henry lost half his court, the Crown of England no longer has a legitimate son and heir. (music) OK, folks, as we promised, today is about a cock-up, the cock-up of the white ship on November the 25th, 1120. And of course, that, Mikey, that's going to have some massive repercussions.
0: Yeah, particularly when Henry I dies in 1135, we have a little thing known as the anarchy.
1: OK, so the anarchy is basically England descending into chaos and civil war. So what is it? On one side, you've got the daughter, Matilda, haven't you? Um, and then on the other side...
0: You've got the nephew, Stephen Blois.
1: Okay, so Matilda, now, if my memory serves me right, Mikey, she's already been married once, hasn't she? She married Henry V, the German king, and she actually becomes Empress Matilda, or Empress Maud, as she's called, because um, Henry was also the Holy Roman Emperor, but he's died as well. Matilda then marries a second time to Geoffrey of Anjou, which sounds great on paper, but of course, the Anjous, they are the normans biggest oldest
0: enemies so that doesn't go down well with the norman nobility and of course stephen War is the son of adela the daughter of william the conqueror and wasn't he almost on the white ship as well mikey in fact didn't isn't it that contemporary
1: uh, historian Odoric vitalis tells us the only reason why stephen didn't
0: get on the white ship that night was because he had to jump off the boat with diarrhea well if you've got to be saved mate you've got to be saved by something and we've also got to throw into the mix William Clito, who was Robert's son. Well, yes, Mikey, because he's trying to stake a claim as well. Yes, but Stephen's got the throne. Matilda challenges. The English barons rebel. The Welsh get stroppy. And just for fun, the Scots decide to invade.
1: Yeah, and then Matilda, she comes in in big force, doesn't she, in 1139. That's, she gets together with her half brother, Robert of
0: Gloucester, isn't it? Yes, mate, this is an episode that is not short on half brothers or sisters.
1: Right, so Matilda, she's in the south is that right? And she's like the sort of Thames Valley side?
0: Yes, but Stephen's got south-east England, and he's got London. Now, there's a siege and a war of attrition. It lasts for two years. Stephen is captured at the Battle of Lincoln. Matilda is declared queen, but she has to retreat, because on a march into London, the crowds turn pretty ugly against her. Right, so the anarchy continues. Yes, mate. Uh, the northern barons rebel. There's no upper hand. In 1148, Matilda flees back to Normandy, leaving her child, Henry, to battle on against Stephen. Ah,
1: right. So that's Henry, her son from Geoffrey. So that's Henry, who
0: becomes Henry Plantagenet. And he now challenges Stephen, who, who, by the way, is is married, and his wife's also called Matilda, and they've got a son and heir. (laughs) Another
1: Matilda. Another
0: Matilda, and their son and heir is called Eustace. Now, by this stage, the English church and the barons have had enough. In 1153, Henry, that is the son of Matilda, lays siege to Wallingford. Stephen signs a truce. Now, he's going to recognise Henry as his heir. Actually, Eustace dies the same year, which is pretty handy. Remarkably
1: handy, actually, Mikey. And funnily enough, there's quite a few question marks about just how Eustace did die because of course he would have been a massive rival um, to the young Henry um, had he stuck around but the good news is that in 1154 when Stephen finally dies Henry is recognised by all he does become Henry II the Plantagenets are born And England is
0: ready for prosperity. But what about Matilda, Mikey? Well, that's the thing, Paulie. Uh, Matilda does nothing. She stays in Normandy.
1: OK, folks, there you are. That's the end of the chaos. The chaos that became known in Victorian times in the history books as the anarchy.
0: Yes, but, mate, I always liked the contemporary line which described it in one of the chronicles as a time when Christ and his saints were asleep.
1: All right, then, so any questions you've got about the Normans, the anarchy, um, you can take
0: your pick about Williams and Henrys in this one. Oh, mate, Williams and Henrys. I think we're still living through a bit of that now. Or maybe you just want to drop us a line and tell us your story from your ever-worst booze cruise. Trust me, I've been on a few. All
1: right, folks, there you go. Drop us a line on all your social media using the
0: handle at... And the rest is hissed. And the rest is hissed. And you can find all that stuff in the show notes.
1: Okay. and if you like the podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe and comment, you know, whichever platforms you
0: usually use. Which brings us to next week's show, when we'll be heading to the legendary sand dunes of Arabia.